So today we have Mr. Sandeep, uh, he's a banker from HSBC Barclays as well. Currently he is on his own practice for Hybrid Financial Services. Today's purpose of this podcast is to dive much deeper to understand how should you manage your money and the resources to achieve this potential of that. So stay tuned for that. Thank you Mr. Sandeep. Pleasure. For sure. I'm going to start with how should someone who's just starting to invest his money, planning to do something like that, what should the steps he should take from that? Especially if you're starting at an early stage of life, you won't have a lot of money to start with, right? So you're going to be saving small increments out of your monthly salary or your you know, whatever earnings that you're having. So you, you would find that it's quite difficult actually to find the avenue for investments because uh, a lot of time the minimum size for uh, buying something can be quite high. Uh, like a bond may cost you $200,000, <laughs> one bond. So, you know, you end up having to look for uh, some way of having an investment uh, mutualized to the point where you can put in, you know, $100, $200 or whatever you want to start with. Uh, on an ongoing basis. So, um, many years back uh, with Vanguard, they created something called the Exchange Traded Fund, an ETF. These ETFs basically were to solve this problem for investors. Investors basically couldn't invest in multiple stocks when you have a small amount of money. Uh, how many stocks are you going to buy? Sometimes the stock has uh, got a price of $200 or $300, a single stock. So. You know, you, you may like Amazon, but you may not have the money to actually invest in it on a regular basis. So the creation of ETFs uh, was the first step uh, to providing access, if you like, to a whole, almost the entire index of the market. And, and that has proliferated. So you could have a lot of like different type of ETFs. You can have tech ETFs, cybersecurity ETFs, etc. So uh, essentially what has happened is that um, on online platforms, you can open an account and have a very low cost account uh, that allows you to buy these ETFs. And you can put in small sums of money and slowly build up a portfolio over time. Whether it's a bond ETF or an equity ETF, uh, it allows you the flexibility and it also prevents you from getting uh, literally scalped by you know banks and other providers who will charge you a substantial style, you know entry fees to and transaction costs and be very inefficient in terms of taking your orders or doing stuff for you. Uh, so an online solution is the best solution, and having a simple strategy where you can get diversification and you can build something over time. Right. So, uh, people who have been more successful in terms of building an estate or investing have essentially done very simple things like buying an S&P S &P 500 ETF. S&P 500 is the US index. It has the best companies you know, in the world and those companies have been steadily growing over time. Uh, depending on when you get it, you have different rates of return obviously. But uh, if you have invested steadily, then you're going to have a very good result out of the s &P. And especially if you're lucky, markets fall and you're on a consistent drip. 
of investing, you've got to do that. So that's the best way of building the investment portfolio for yourself. So someone who's just starting out, the first thing should be to go with ETF now, exchange rate farm, which you can buy through any platform that exists. Yeah. On those references, you can be more consistent with it as well. Exactly. Rather than guessing which stock is nice or not, you can buy a bunch of them at one point of time as well. I mean, the risk with uh, buying a single stock is that you need to do a lot of homework, right? So if you have got the capacity to number one, do the research, monitor the stock, and you want to invest in the stock as a business uh, for the long term, well, that's also a route. And a lot of big successful investors started like that. You know, they, they started by investing in a couple of stock. Uh, there's a gentleman who passed away called Rakesh Jundilwa in India. And it's like considered one of the most, you know, incredible investors on the planet. I think he ended up with a net worth of $4 billion and he started with nothing. He took a loan and started investing in stock, in, in, in the stock exchange. And, uh, you know, uh, he had a couple of stocks that made $2 billion. <laughs> one of them was called Titan. It's a jewelry company. And uh, so uh, the jewelry business was very fragmented, and he bought, uh, you know, this company which was basically consolidating a lot of jewelry businesses. And uh, so uh, it goes to show you that if you really have a deep uh, research and you believe in something and you hold it for the long term, you can have a tremendous compounding. Right? If you don't do the research and you don't have the stomach of uh, weathering the volatility in those uh, in the stocks individually, then the best way is ETF. Start small, but in your and then you get familiar, and then as your wealth builds up, you can take a chance and you know uh, if you identify some you know stock or business that you really understand, then perhaps that could be an interesting way of growing it further. And before investing, what should you think you should take care of before you start investing? Because over here, plan for long term. You want long term success, but people who are just starting out, what should they do before investing? Like, is there a couple of things that they should do completely before, then start investing their money? Or should they simply start from day one? I think, uh, you know, before investing, yes, you can get familiar with the different aspects of investing. So reading a, a couple of books uh, will give you that, you know, understanding thoroughly. Uh, there's a very famous book called The Intelligent Investor uh, and it's by Benjamin Graham and it's considered the number one book in finance in terms of uh, like, um, it's the standout book in terms of understanding investing. So you read one book and you get a at least you have a clarity of understanding of the best investment ideas uh, of how to invest in day And then you can start investing comfortably. But ETFs are a good, safe way, or, or especially index ETFs are a great way of starting before you, if you don't have the knowledge or you don't feel like you have the time to learn about it. And currently, uh, the stock market is going up and down. Like, what should people do when they think that the market is going down? Like, during COVID time, and 
sleeps or not moving as you want to feel with that. What should someone do in those times when? Well, uh, it's very easy to say, you know, you buy low and sell high. So, uh, that that's basically uh, the ideal scenario. But what happens is that when we went into COVID, nobody knew how the, the impact of that would transpire on the markets, right? Because uh, people felt that it could lead to depression. You know, we never thought how we would get out of this uh, unemployment trap. And uh, so uh, it was only because the Federal Reserve pumped trillions of dollars into the economy uh, that we actually got escape velocity. And uh, we are facing now inflation for the first time after decades, uh, simply because they didn't know how much to pump, uh, you know, to protect the economy. So they were heard on the side of caution. No, <laughs> you know, and uh, so that's the way it works. Like, I mean, uh, if you have a consistent pattern of investing, then you would invest when the markets are down because you're tripping into the market. So you're not, you know, like investing at the highs or the lows, but you're overall on an average, you're growing, you know, you're averaging into the market over time. So that removes a little bit of that risk of the volatility of trying to find the exact entry point. If you're waiting for the exact entry point, it could be, you know, a while. So, and you may get it wrong. And, you know, like, uh, so a lot of time when the markets are falling, people invest and it keeps falling. So uh, it's just best to phase your investments in all ways. Be consistent. Even though this is from down we sure that hey everything will not be that bad to think of. And we have some optimism as well. Exactly. Yeah. Because I mean if you uh, put all your money at the top of the market and the market falls, you have no uh, strength to add to the position because you're already suffering heavy losses. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And uh, the less capital you have, the more it hurts. Yeah, <laughs> so you're not willing to take the loss also. And, and that makes it harder. And like, should people sell the investment that they have, or should they keep the like, this system for like eight to ten years? Or like you know, some people time the market, some people try to time the market. Like, what's your take on timing the market? What you doing? Well, you have to be extremely skilled to time the market. So, uh, for the normal investor, timing has always been a challenge, and that's ninety percent of the market, ninety-five percent. Right. So bulk of the people cannot time the market efficiently. And we have behavioral issues, we have emotional issues, and we're human beings. <laughs> so, you know, like we, we will get swayed, yeah. and uh, we will get uh, tempted, and we will have fear. And, and all of that will play against time. So to be a truly dispassionate uh, investor with a lot of technical expertise of how they are timing the market, uh, or great, uh, you know, resilience uh, to take the risk at the time when the markets are down. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's for few people. But for each and every people, should be to consist with it and go with the flow. And that's the best way. That's the best way. And that's the headache as well for people who have other things to do except this as well. The, the, the thing to worry about is greed. Yeah. So if you hear that something is very hot, Normally, it is after everyone has gone into it. 
and the you know there is a bit of a bubble in it, like AI. Okay. Right? So we've seen that in Nvidia just day back when it announced its earnings, uh, the earnings fell, the revenue fell, yeah. but they said that they are having a huge uh, growth come due to AI chips and uh, the AI chip demand was going to be exponential uh, and the market took that and rallied, uh, the stock rallied overnight 25%. That was around $250 billion of rally. So you can imagine that you could put the entire Intel in that rally. That was the size of that rally overnight. So it's, you know, it, it, it is uh, challenging to invest in a bubble, you know, it's challenging. Uh, you could say that maybe uh, the market is discounting a great uh, revolution, but we had the same thing with Cisco in 2000, where the routers were supposed to be the hottest thing, and then Cisco rallied crazy levels similarly, and then collapsed. Uh, so one has to be cautious about uh, going for, you know, getting greedy and rushing for trends. Uh, and the S&P allows you to have the biggest companies. You have all Amazons, the Facebooks, the Apples, in the index. And you don't need to worry about uh, chasing some trends. And what's your perspective on AI? Like AI, how do you think it will impact uh, not just investing, like maybe financial in general as well, because currently everyone is talking about so much about AI in general. We think it will have some impact on the financial market future as well. For sure, AI um, it has so many applications that will be developed in the future, and the volume of applications being developed is exponential. So lots of people are using uh, the tools that generative AI, that you know, open AI. Uh, that has uh, chat GPT uh, which has come in uh, and they have latched on to this uh, uh, new style of AI if you like uh, because our old AI was machine learning which was algorithmic you've created a set of rules and parameters and then within that they were, the, the system would execute and you know find uh, things but to get it intelligent is a big challenge and generative AI is the first step perhaps on the ladder where we are thinking that, you know, it's uh, generating something uh, rather than perhaps just following a rule and executing a command. Uh, so the, that, that's a massive shift in AI. And uh, so then the question is like, where does machine learning sit and where does AI sit? Yeah. And all of that, I think, will confluence, but the confluence is still not, uh, you know, achieved. So people are trying to combine the two by creating guardrails within which the generative AI works. Uh, so a legal system, you might imagine that the legal uh, profession, uh, a lot of the research may be done by AI, right? Because they will, over time, they, they, they will develop the tools to perhaps do it. Uh, similarly, you know, uh, a doctor may have AI assistant. Uh, so, 
but I think the way to look at it is the first stage we will just have a, a very good assistant helping us with the AI. You know, AI can be a great tool for you to get a quick rundown of what you on how to structure something. And so that uh, tool will start getting implemented in our lives in general without us realizing it. Just like we didn't realize Google search. You know, now, in, you know, uh, before Google search, everyone had to go to the library and look up a research yeah. book, right? We didn't have the concept that such a thing could exist. It was all on library catalogs, indexing, you know, microfiche was a big step forward. And then Google search came along. And then we didn't, you have everything in your fingertips. It's almost like you don't need a library anymore, right? So similarly, the AI assistant means that it will eliminate a lot of functionality within our lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the assistant will be able to help you with something that you never even dreamt you need. You know, the speed at which the results come out to you will be crazy. And uh, over time, with all the guardrails coming in, it will become more and more efficient and more accurate. So the way you first started assisted, it helped you in your day-to-day things, such a knowledge gathering like that. And then slowly, so you'll move further with those areas to be. Yeah, just, uh, I think that it'll be the, even the first step will be best. Because like, uh, we have used activity as well. Like, it's so efficient for coding as well. Like, earlier, a developer used to code something if it's eight hours of time. Now, it can help him, as it was mentioned, in two hours of time as well. So, the productivity is really high. Exactly. So, you know, it's like your assistant has an assistant. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? So, it's just, uh, I think we, uh, it, it is an incredible development. And it will take uh, some time for it to fructify, but it definitely is a, a massive change. So now let's shift from individual to more business side. So how should uh, someone who's running a business maintain? Should he separate his personal money from the business money, or like how should he maintain the finance at that level? So I've seen a lot of people who bootstrap businesses with their personal money, and uh, they go out to the extent of taking credit card loans and trying to do it. I think that shows that they have a lot of passion for the business because it's a very high-risk, stressful thing to do Uh, because businesses never follow a normal path. You know, like you may think, okay, I will grow by X amount, uh, you know, in six months' time and then something can happen like COVID (laughs) and then you have a whole different, uh, you know, scenario of how to handle, you know, what to do next and your customer behavior patterns have changed and, uh, you know, maybe logistics have changed and everything. So, um, I think that, uh, you know, ideally, you should try and get funds to start a business. So, uh, we are in an environment of innovation globally where uh, businesses are being, you know, everyone is trying to incubate businesses and assist people incubating businesses. And therefore, there's a lot more funding available than ever before. So I think that uh, uh, getting funding has become the, the norm for how to start up a business. 
right? So you have to become good at pitching your business. You got to know what investors are looking for, and that's basically been the root uh, for business setup. I think uh, investing in your business uh, and bootstrapping it is also another way. Uh, just it depends on how much uh, uh, savings you have to do that, and and you shouldn't, I think, take uh, things to the point where you hit the brick. Oh, you know, it's better because the stress level will be very high if something goes wrong. The entire clarity of work is will impact everything, and you may not be able to make the decisions with the confidence that you could if you had funding outside. Right, because the the funding can be there and built up also. It can build up. So a lot of time, you when you start a business, you can have a burn, but it's on a plan, and you're able to hire people. You're able to, you know, get your marketing going, and and it allows you all that, you know, funding allows you to build out the business correctly. So be more mindful of that and like plan what works for you, but be open for possibilities as well. So the people who are starting on bootstrap basis, oftentimes their businesses were not cash intensive. So like if you were uh, Zuckerberg, <laughs> you were setting up, uh, you know, your code. Even Zuckerberg required financing at some point, right? So uh, and uh, even Google, right? And so you basically. Uh, You know, businesses as they evolve, they will need financing, and uh, so you should be prepared for that. Excellent. And be more open. I think this is not stick with one part of doing it. Yeah. If you try to do it on your own funding, then it uh, it can run aground very quickly because you can't build teams easily, and, and therefore your business growth just follows a very binary. Thank you so much. And like now, understand that uh, now it comes from funding. Now, as an individual, uh, how should you manage your money while running a business? Should you keep it away? Should you invest money while running a business as well, or should you more streamline the business and then start investing your money as well? Well, the old style of uh, investing in businesses, if you look at the trading families, etc., they they normally try to grow very organically. So they put their money into Uh, a business and then slowly built it, you know, and then they took the funding from the, the returns from the business and grew the next step. That was a very organic way of doing it, and uh, that way, I doesn't think I don't think it changes the challenges of the cyclicality of a business. So if there's a downturn, whether you took the money from your own money and you face a downturn, or somebody else's money and face a downturn. The results are the same. So having some external funding, uh, it just broadens it out. Diversifies the risk. Yeah, diversifies the risk. It also uh, and it allows you to keep some nest egg for yourself. You know where you can build up some uh, something not correlated to your business in terms of growth. We were working so hard to make it happen, but it's still stuck with that. So. Uh, there's a lot of money to do as well. Yeah, it's a challenge. So, like, uh, can you first talk about a good debt and a bad debt? Can you focus a little more on that? Sure. Good debt is basically uh, 
I'll start with bad debt. Bad debt is one way, you know, the, uh, like you're taking something, uh, you're taking a loan to uh, buy, you know, go shopping or buy a car or, you know, something where the asset is depreciating, right? So the moment you buy a car, the value of the car is going to drop, right? Or you buy, you know, you shop, anything where you consume goods and you've taken a loan on a credit card or whatever, it's the debt that you would have to pay back from some other source, right? The good debt is one which allows you to grow your lifestyle or in a measured manner. So it could be that you're trying to fund the business, you're trying to buy a house and you take a mortgage, uh, and uh, you or, you know, or you try to get some student funding, uh, whatever it is, then the good debt can also turn into a bad debt, right? Because if you overdo the good debt, you end up with a problem, right? So you have to do it commensurate to your income, whatever income you're getting in, and then factor that on the basis of that, so that you don't end up in the situation where you're uh, out outgoings are more than incomings because that's a dead spiral. The other problem is that if you invest in something, uh, like say you bought a house and then the property value falls, right? Then you may have your, you might have to run the full course of the debt and you have to be prepared for that. Yeah. Like in a business, uh, investments, this is very common. You invest and you say, okay, I'll take a loan, I'm going to invest the money. And uh, it's available often on websites, you get margin lending on most of the brokerage platforms. So people take loans, you know, to leverage their portfolios. But if it goes down, then you lose all your capital. So the good debt is good as long as the asset is not uh, depreciating in value and where you have a good coverage of the income. You know, your income covers your, you know, your cost of uh, interest and amortization of the loan. Now, Nick, uh, how should you start a business? Like before you start a business, should you quit your job or should you do your job and run a business as well? Like how should that scenario and individual should work out on you? Uh, it's, uh, it's just very, uh, it depends on the person and the environment. The first thing is you, you should have a bit of a nesting if you're thinking about setting up business. Uh, secondly, you've got to have the time. So you've got to have the, you know, like even if you're in a job, you need to have some time. So you, you need to allocate that time to figuring out how you're going to uh, do that. And ideally, you should have some passion that you want to do it because if you know and you have a great idea, that's going to drive everything, right? So. Um, these are these are the three aspects. Um, you oftentimes like uh, business comes with a lot of risk, right? So you have a job which is very stable, and then you want to go into a business which could blow up or not work out. Uh, you could lose all your savings. You're not guaranteed that you're going to get funding. Uh, so at that startup stage, it's great if you can, you know, keep your job and 
slowly build up the business ideas. Right? So you work on the proposition, you and it's better if you set up a business plan first. Right? So you have to work on all aspects of a business plan to figure out uh, how am I going to do this business? What does it require? What sort of manpower will it require? What sort of software? What sort of technology it might require to be built? And oftentimes people start up uh, in a garage, you know, working on the side, and then they they keep tinkering away with it till it becomes something, and then they reach point where they realize that okay, this is gonna fly. And they have some proof of concept. They try to sell something. It works out. They actually feel they're meeting a need. And then they get to the point where they can perhaps go and pitch and get the business going, right? Or they gather angel investors from their friends and family and start. So that's typically how it happens. So plan first uh, while you're working on your job, maybe, and then slowly, slowly transition to that. Exactly. If you think this is yeah. a good thing for you to do it. There's always going to be a tipping point. Which you go in there and, you know, uh, sort of uh, jump into the business. And what you get really sharing, what was your life lessons doing finance and investments for so long that would you give yourself when you're younger? Like three, four things, you hey, you should focus on these things definitely. Well, uh, I think. Uh, We've covered a lot of the things, you know, in, in this talk. Uh, I think it's important to save. It's important to build uh, something in a systematic manner in terms of your investment. Uh, it's important to think about financial freedom, you know, because if you are able to build an alternative source of income outside your job, that can give you financial freedom. So whether it's a, you slowly get on the real estate ladder and you build up a property portfolio uh, and you start small and you keep working on things or you just use ETFs and build up an investment portfolio, whatever it is, uh, or you find some great uh, side you know, activity that gives you some income, uh, perhaps you're teaching on the internet, uh, which is very popular now, you know, uh, and so you can create side incomes and uh, that, that is something well worth pursuing alongside you know jobs because today jobs are also variable yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> if you have a downturn jobs also go so yeah. what's the difference between business and job you know yeah, yeah. in that aspect yeah. it's just cash flows really cash and about house and in a way like people treat uh, real estate as the biggest investment that they have. Um, is it for everyone? Because, for example, if it's a smooth yard for your work, maybe it's not for you. Like, should everyone consider buying the house, or like you should be options for not to do that? Well, it depends on the price of housing. So you need to know whether the market is hot or cold, right? Because if it's a very hot market, then it's harder to buy a house. People tend to go for rental. Uh, and uh, interest rates make a big difference. So the mortgage rate is very high. Uh, you might be less inclined to, you know, buy a house. But long term, uh, it is a great 
investment to look at because uh, you get mortgages easily <laughs> and those mortgages are normally locked against the property so you don't have personal liability outside the mortgage uh, you know outside the property so as long as you can finance the mortgage you know you can fund the mortgage properly you have adequate income you can get on the property value so it's a great way of uh, building wealth I think it's a very disciplined way of building wealth as well right because you do a mortgage for it's a 10 15 years when I'm investing money every month maybe I'll say hey I'll do it next month maybe and then one month after that I think it keeps you disciplined as well definitely I mean it's, it's easier to run that uh, you, you know you have to fund the money <laughs> so but the thing is that um, it's certainly uh, you're absolutely 100% correct on the discipline issue for investing right because we the fear and greed factor is always there so <laughs> we are always mentally trying to time the market whether yeah. we like it or not right yeah. so that discipline is a big challenge uh, people have used savings plans in the past uh, to just drip into the market and those are automated again so you have to keep paying into the plan but the problem with those plans is the costs are very high and the flexibility is not there so if you can get uh, uh, more you know discipline on your own and you you know sort of set up a direct debit to something uh, you know then if you have a direct debit to your brokerage company yes. you can actually save yourself a lot of money and build yourself something safer thank you so much for your time pleasure with this we end our podcast thank you so much thank, thank you, you.